The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Round one. Vast Badnar is here, Executive Director of the Master of Public Policy degree in Digital Society at McMaster University. Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty of Betty's Law. Jerry Agar from the Jerry Agar Show. Always fun to uh, meet listeners face-to-face as we did yesterday. Yeah, I had a good time at that event yesterday. We used to do more of that, and then something happened during the pandemic, and we got to like, we got to come out of our hunkered down state and do a few more of those things. Yeah, it always surprises me how shy people are about saying hi. And of course, you and I don't get the star treatment very often, so I love it when somebody comes up and says, "I enjoy your show." Some people are shy, some people are not. Yes, <laughs> but, but I'm okay. I mean, that's what we're there for, and uh, so it was fun to meet people. Uh, let's talk about the prospect of another one of those operations where they clear people out of a downtown encampment. This one in Kent. Kensington Market. And uh, Vas Bednar, I'll start with you. We talked to a pastor earlier this morning who was making the argument as to why these people should be let alone. But I still think, you know, I'm not that much of a hard ass in saying we've got to find another solution that doesn't involve these encampments on downtown streets and in parks. I mean, I think I think you're you're definitely right. I mean, we've seen in certain jurisdictions experimenting with designated public parks that are to support an encampment community and also kind of layer in social supports as as a sort of a, a temporary in between experiment. It's not surprising, but it is it is painful to know that these encampments are being cleared because it, it doesn't mean that they that they go away. So they cause us discomfort. Uh, in terms of what they represent, in terms of who's being failed and how in our city. Um, and, you know, these people still need continued support and attention. And Courtney Betty, I was mentioning, it's probably going to be a fairly ugly affair, all captured on video, no doubt. And it'll involve police and social workers and counter protesters and the whole rigmarole and crash gates. Well, John, that's my concern. Like, why do we have to get that to that level? Um, we have a pastor that's there right now. And it's interesting because this one's a little bit different. Um, we have a court saying that maybe because of combustible material, etc., that there are potential fire risk, etc. So my feeling is, why doesn't the church step forward and see if they can remove some of those issues that are potentially listed as, um, you know, as safety concerns? Because that's on the basis that the city was able to get the order to move ahead this morning. But I do think we've got to stop this kind of aggressive military approach and find some other way of dealing with this. Jerry Yeager? Well, first of all, it's not the church's property. Uh, It's public property. And no one has the right to take over public property and call it their residence. So there's that. And we have a huge problem here that the federal government is not stepping up to their responsibility. $440 million through 2024 uh, is what the city says they need from the federal government to be able to provide shelter for people that the federal government is essentially welcoming into the country and just sending to Toronto. Well, it's a federal government responsibility. And I I think that a lot more people should be a lot uh, heavier on the federal government in that regard, because if we had $440 million, maybe we'd have a place for these people to go. Well, Jerry, part of it as well, though, I I think we've got to start looking. And, you know, we had the discussion about this last week. Let's start looking at how the city spends the money that it gets, right? 
Um, that's one component of it. Because if you can mobilize the communities, we saw that with the refugees, with all these churches that stepped forward, none of these churches right now are helping because the city and them did not work out some sort of an arrangement. So I think we also have to look at the city and not just said, hey, we need more money from the federal government. How are we spending the money that we're getting right now? No, I, I, I don't defend a lot of what the city does. And uh, But in this case, they are right. And if the federal government won't step up, then we should take the money we have and load a whole bunch of people on buses and take them to Ottawa. And Ottawa can figure out what to do with them. All right. Moving on to the next topic. Uh, in Durham, police set up a website where they effectively were offering sex services for minors, and it got 6,600 clicks in four days. Um, Jerry, it's beyond disturbing. One of the things I am I, you know, amazed by in a very negative way is, particularly in Durham, where they've been running some really successful operations, but it just seems to be an endless supply of perverts out there. Uh, it's shocking. I guess it's not shocking now because we've been through this before. And we see, but the first time that I saw these kinds of numbers when they were arresting people for child pornography, I just couldn't believe it. Let me point out, and I don't say this to minimize the issue, you mentioned almost 6,700 clicks, but from 600 different phone numbers. So on average, about 10 or 11 clicks per person, which means uh, an incredible amount of interest. It wasn't somebody who was cruising around on some sketchy parts of the internet and then clicked and they went, oops, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I could visualize that could happen with somebody, but not 10 times. I mean, and if it's if it's 600, that's an alarmingly high number of people. Well, and Courtney, Betty, like I was saying, it's the numbers that uh, shock me, that you'd think eventually we'd get to the bottom of the barrel. We'd clean up this mess and have all the pervs behind bars. But it just seems like other people are willing to step up. Well, part of it, John, is also technology, because many of these individuals, depending if they're using some sort of a local area network or other things, they can reroute their routers. And so... At the end of the day, the police, even though they're able to identify all these clicks, they're not able to identify the perpetrators. And that's going to be one of the challenges. We really want to get to the to the heart of this is how do we get behind that uh, the firewall? And Vaz, this is kind of your wheelhouse since you're in, you know, live in the digital Excellent. world. What are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. You know, I was surprised that they did a press release on this right For, to to what end right if they want people to know that they're placing fake ads or, uh, alongside other ones is this a signal to uh sex workers is it a signal to i mean i know it's minors right but it is it what do they want to accomplish they're telling us that they're doing their job they're not telling us that they've caught these people um are we looking for platform accountability are we looking for you know me measuring clicks are some of those from the police I, and i don't want to minimize it in any way but i think trying to understand the the goal of the disclosure here and how it might push that behavior from where they're able to place ads to other darker places on the web uh, is something that we do have to keep in mind, too. It's good for the public to know how bad this is. That's true. That's true. Christian Rashoi writing in the Toronto Star about getting her hands on some documents relating to the deal that has been struck between the government and elementary school teachers. And, you know, this is pretty complicated detail because it's all kinds of numbers. I guess Courtney Betty on a grosso modo level, I'm just happy there's a deal and no strike. Well, John, I'm happy there's a deal, but I'm also happy that we're kind of looking, we're going to get 400 additional uh, support teachers for students that have challenges. 
But also, John, there's another piece I'm really pleased about, and that's a mental health issue, because we've got to get, I would love to see a mental health worker in every school within our city. Like, that's needed to create the stability that we're trying to build in our city right now. Well, in Vaz Bednar, the union was accused of salting in issues like uh, violence in our schools and uh, mental health workers and stuff like that. But really, all they were interested was wages. But here we go. We got it. Right. They were being realistic about how, you know, schools have been evolving and this as sites and what other supports they need, which is not unlike libraries. And to Courtney's point, you know, yeah, having mental health supports in every school, uh, therapy counseling for teenagers, for people under 18 can be accessed for free through city services. But when it's not co-located at a school or a community center, the likelihood of being able to access those just sort of completely deteriorates. So thinking about schools in a uh, in a in a newer way as well, I think is really great. And averting strikes until 2026 also sounds good. Yeah, I'd just like to know what labor peace is costing us. I mean, they're hiring 400 extra people. You could kind of work out what that might cost. But what is the cost of all this? Because I didn't see that. Well, you could probably ask for the line well, items. I would, I'm sure they would eventually release them. Well, yeah, but why don't they just tell us, you know, it's only our money. Why don't they tell us how much money they committed in order to get the union to shut up for a year or so? Courtney Betty, you well, wanted to weigh in on I, I, I also think, Jerry, we also have to look at the costs of some of not doing and not hiring these 400 workers. And I think Courtney, sometimes we're always, might, we're, Courtney, always, we're, always, we're always looking at the short term, Jerry. People might agree with the now, number. And we're, gonna, and we're gonna create it. Oh, that's true too. I'm not gonna argue with that. Someone might agree, but it's always this, we're hiring 400, but what about the long-term cost if we don't? That's all I'm saying. Okay, but but I, I would like to know what the cost is. That's all. Uh, then I might say, okay, well, we got these 400 workers and we got this and this, and I guess that's what it's going to cost. Or I might go, what? The NDP here in Ontario proposing the Ford administration support the idea of free birth control. There's certainly been a campaign in Ottawa to make feminine hygiene products uh, HST free, but what about free birth control? Uh, Vas Bednar. You know, will it increase uh, who uses it? The best forms of birth control are the most expensive. We do have, as that, you know, as the article notes, free birth control for people under 25 who aren't on uh, private plans, which is uh, quite helpful. But in terms of the timing and can this can this gain support now, I'm a little bit skeptical, though I am broadly supportive of helping more people access uh, reliable, you know, healthy birth control. I think that any individual you would encounter anywhere, just randomly walk up to people on the street and ask them if there's something government should provide, they'd come up with something. But at, at the same time, we can't provide anything. What I would like to see is a point at which we say, you know, we're, we're taking enough money out of people's pockets. So if you have a proposal for something you think is necessary to provide, then what will we stop providing? Like, can, can we have some sort of um, ceiling on what we keep taking out of people's pockets? Although, Courtney Betty, I remember reading a study that said when women have the ability to control when they have children and how many children they have, they have better economic outcomes. At the end of the day, the, the economic part of it is important, John. But, you know, going back, I think, to what Jerry's saying is how do we balance some of the, the funding issues around this? I would love to see a situation where anyone, let's say that you're below a certain level of income, you're going to be able to get the kind of things that you need. Because at the end of the day, this is an individual decision, but it's great to have 
some sort of support if you cannot afford it. But I don't think anyone should be getting the support if they can't afford it. Okay, only 30 seconds on the clock. But Vaz, I had to ask you, because I'm sure there's an internet component to this. Uh, apparently, Ontario is one of the angriest places in Canada. I know. You know what? Now everyone's going to feel extra angry on a Friday. I, I think these polls always end up making me laugh and feel a little bit city, silly, but we have to pay attention to the direction of, of public anger. It's not often a source of great policy solutions, but directionally, uh, I think it's important and we have to pay attention to it and not write it off as like road rage or something like that. People are people are pressed and people are stressed. Yeah, these things tick me off. <laughs> All right, more on this particular thing. It's uh, Polaris Rage Index. Apparently, it's part of a longitudinal study. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.